Okay, we're back for the weekly Softy Hawk Blogger podcast. But again, you knew that because you came here. I don't know if anybody's clicking on this, uh, thinking they're going to get maybe some insider trading tips from Michael Kendricks, and instead they get Seahawk talk from Softy and Brian. But we're going to talk about Michael Kendricks in a moment. But uh, Brian, uh, lots to go over after what I thought was a fairly disappointing weekend in Denver. Uh, not, not the weekend that you or I were hoping for, pal, whatsoever, uh, with a 27-24 loss to the Broncos last week. Let's start off by just talking about some general thoughts and takeaways from uh, what we saw against the Broncos last Sunday. Yeah, always always great to be talking to you, Softy. So uh, 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 it's funny you start out that way, and I I really I predicted that we were going to lose to Denver. Yeah. So for me, it wasn't super disappointing. I think I think that in fact, you know, I was surprised that they scored twenty four and really should have had twenty seven points if if uh, Janikowski makes one of those two field goals. Mm-hmm. They don't tend to score points in the first weekend, especially uh, on the road. So that was a bit of a surprise. I definitely did not expect Will Disley to do what he did. And, um, you know, Brandon Marshall is pretty close to having two touchdowns. So there's some interesting things that happened there on offense. Yeah. What, what's, what was disappointing to me, and honestly to the point of, of aggravating, was why on earth Chris Carson was splitting reps with Rashad Penny at all, let alone after the game started. And one of those guys clearly was not making the most of his carries, and the other was. So – so that was frustrating, and, and, you know, I think we saw this defense is – they're not average. They're bad right now. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. think that's, that's kind of what we're facing, and, and <laughs> you know, I would classify it as there's some the pleasant surprises in the first week, and yet, you know, here we are, and in some ways it feels like the season could be unraveling already given some of the injuries we're seeing. Well, this Bear game feels gigantic on Monday. Uh, I mean, we can talk more about that coming up, but th- this was supposedly the softer, if you will, part of your schedule with Chicago right. and Denver. And if you go into an 0-2 hole against those guys with the quarterbacks you have coming up down the road, yeah, big game on Monday that we'll talk about in a second. But I guess, you know, look, first of all, the reason why I was disappointed Sunday and I'm with you. I, I would have not been stunned if the Hawks lost that game. I thought they'd win, but nobody could have been shocked if they lost it. You got a game, Brian, where you are going out there for the first time in forever with no Richard Sherman, no Cam Chancellor, no Michael Bennett, no Cliff Averill, no Jimmy Graham. You can't figure out your freaking running game. You have a project still, I think, at right tackle. You're starting... Uh, weak side linebacker basically gets benched during the course of the game because he's overwhelmed by a lot of things, and that's going to happen to a rookie. And yet you're down by three points with 11 minutes to go in the game, and your offense, led by your highest-paid player, goes three yards, gives up two sacks, fumbles a snap, throws a pick, and has a false start on the last three drives of the game. I mean, that game was right there for the taking, even through all of that, and Russell Wilson and the rest of the offense, which has some talent even without Doug Baldwin, could not get a damn thing done in crunch time. Yeah, that, that's totally fair. I, the Seahawks, <laughs> I was surprised they took the lead in that game. It was, it was exciting to see Tyler Lockett pull in that, that pass and for Russell to get the protection needed to make that throw and for the play to develop and, and all that stuff was great. Uh, and the defense, honestly, as bad as I think that they were in a lot of ways in the third quarter, I don't know if they held Denver scoreless, but they gave the the offense a lot of chances to make progress. And as you said, they didn't do it. Um, and I think there's been a lot of talk this week that 
hey, Russell Wilson had a terrible game, this is on him, and other people saying, ah, you know, people are too hard on Russell, and it was the offensive line still not protecting him, they gave up six sacks. I kind of felt like it was both. (laughs) You know, I I don't think Russell played a terrible game, but I don't think he played his best. And the offensive line, as you mentioned, you know, there was definitely some mistakes, and they still were giving up a lot of pressure. So um, this offense has to be really good for this team to matter at all this year, and they were not really good. I think they were just okay. No, not at all. And I think think your assessment of Russell's game is fair. You know, all of us want to point the finger at one person, um, but I think it's a fair assessment to say, hey, look, man, uh, Russell admitted that three of those sacks were on him, which I found kind of amusing because that means he's saying – Three of the sacks were on them, pointing to his offensive line. But the first play of the game, he's got Doug Baldwin uh, with a lot of separation running across the middle of the field. And if he can get him the football, he may still be running. I mean, that was an 85-yard touchdown written all over it. But Russell Wilson, for whatever reason, decides to leave the pocket and bail out a little bit early, and no chance he can get the ball at that point to Doug Baldwin. So, I don't know, man, Brian. I still feel like Russell's kind of hearing ghosts, and I wonder if maybe he still has to break that habit of maybe not having as much confidence in his offensive line as he should. Yeah, it's hard for me to uh, attribute it to confidence in the offensive line because he's been doing this since – you know, he first got into the league, and but this wasn't a habit he developed. It's just kind of who he is as a quarterback, and I tend to think it has more to do with whether he sees the play and and whether he's feeling like he needs to get out of there to get some better vision and passing lanes. But, because he's five but, foot eleven. Whatever the reason, yeah, I mean, he, yeah. I, I I see that I, I see that as an issue, and you know, it hasn't kept him from being one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, but. Right. I think we got to be honest. There's there's things that Russell does well. There's things that he doesn't do well. And what's been challenging is I don't think we've seen as much growth from him as I would like to see. And I put a lot of that on coaching. You know, I don't know that anyone's really, really pushed him on, you know, being on time with his passes and being within the offense on those things. It's not that he's not capable. I just – I don't think they had the guy in the in the quarterback room the last – four years to really hold him accountable and help him learn. And, 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 you know, people are going to take that as a shot at Russell. I, to me, it's really about how the coaches, you know, dealt with him and, and what opportunities they gave to, to make him a better player. Yeah, I think that's fair that he's only had the one game with Schottenheimer. And I've mentioned this before, that you go back to Schottenheimer's days as a quarterback coach in San Diego at Breeze, and I'm hoping that maybe there's something there that can wear off on Russ. But I think you're right, and I think there's nothing wrong with saying, and you and I have talked about this many, many times, people take this as an insult, but it's almost even a compliment that he can survive in the NFL at his height. It's amazing what he's done at his height. Not many guys have done it. But Drew uh, Breeze is one. Fran Tarkenton's another. People talk about Baker Mayfield, but Baker Mayfield six foot tall. Baker Mayfield's the Kemi and a a freaking Matumbo compared to Russell Wilson, for God's sake. So it is kind of a compliment that he's been able to survive in the NFL given his limited stature physically. But the frustrating thing for me is when you see guys that are open on what could be scoring plays and they're not getting those guys the football. I mean, you saw the second and seven before Janikowski's field goal. He's got Brandon Marshall wide open, wide open in the back of the end zone. Nobody within 10 yards of the guy, and he can't get it there, and they end up having to settle for a field goal. And guess what? They lose the game by three. You think those four points would have mattered? I do. Of course. And and 
uh, you know, that, that's, the, that's part of the nature of being the quarterback is you're going to notice those situations the most. I could say, hey, Brandon Marshall didn't need to push off on what was a touchdown and took those points off the board. Uh, J.R. Sweezy did not need to hold on what was like a 50-yard screenplay that should have happened. Like, there were a lot of individuals that made mistakes. Sweezy made a mistake on one of the sacks. Like, that, that I mean, could have led to a big play if, if Russell had, had protection. So, you know, I know that sounds like a cop-out, but I, I just think it's, from a perspective, you know, uh, if, you, if you look at it even-handedly, yes, I think Russell definitely missed some plays. I don't think, even plays he did see, I don't think he was as accurate or yeah. on time with some of those throws. He was rifling balls to running backs three yards in front of him <laughs> that they could not catch. So, yeah, it wasn't his best game, but we know he's capable of better. And yeah. uh, to me, the bigger issue by far is what's going on with the defense. And are they going to really put hmm. the ball in the better running back's hand? Yeah. Well, like, is that what they're going to do this week? And before we get to all that, the other issue, uh, and you're right, the running game, the defense for sure, but how about this wide receiving core all of a sudden, man? I mean, you got a 34-year-old guy. you got a guy in Lockett who his, his career high in catches is 51, and that was when he was a rookie. A guy in Jerron Brown whose career high is 31, and that was a year ago. And then two guys who up until this year have never caught a pass in the NFL. That's your wide receiving career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. How do you feel about I that, think, big boy? Well, I'm choking on uh, my food here, but <laughs> <laughs> that's how excited is that, I am. Is that symbolic of your opinion, by the way, on the receiving <laughs> court? <laughs> yeah. I, I, it doesn't. Uh, well, it doesn't rank as like a top 10 concern for me about this. Really? Team. Not yeah. even top no. 10? Wow. No, okay. It doesn't. Okay. No, I mean, look, Brandon Marshall, um, like I said, <laughs> was, was on tap to have two touchdowns in that game. I think he's he's going to fit reasonably well with what the Seahawks want to do. I think that uh, Tyler Lockett's going to be getting more snaps in the slot now than he's ever gotten before. I think that's where he's best suited. And we saw him make that 51-yard touchdown he caught was a great move from the slot. And, and I think he'll get more chances there. And, look, if there's a chance that David Moore is going to get some more opportunities – I'm a believer in him. I've been a believer in him before training camp. I, you know, people were saying the same thing about the, the overall wide receiver group. This is a really bad group. Who are these guys? I think he has a potential to be an impact wide receiver once he you know, uh, smooths off some of the rough edges. So I am interested in seeing some of those guys get more reps. And look, if Russell Wilson is the quarterback, I think we all believe him to be, he should be able to make these receivers – uh, look yes. good. He yes. should be able to throw them open. He should be able to like people yes. like Drew Brees, people like Tom Brady. They make do with with you know nothing. Uh, challenging weapons. How about how about what Aaron Rodgers has right now? Are you kidding me? So yeah, yeah no doubt about that. Um, Brian, let me ask you this because uh, you mentioned the the uh, the uh, wide receivers uh, not being a, uh, a a top ten concern. You mentioned David Moore, and I'm with you. That David had a great preseason, but apparently the preseason means jack squat to the Seahawks because Chris Carson was the best running back by far in the preseason, and he has seven carries in the opener against Denver. I mean, they ran the ball less on Sunday in a game they lost by three versus a game they lost by 35 to the Rams a year ago. It's only one more carry, 15 versus 14 from the running backs, but... That was not at all what I thought I would see. After all the resources they put into the running game, re-signing Dwayne Brown, picking up DJ Fluker, drafting Rashad Penny, uh, bringing in Will Disley, signing Ed Dixon. I know a lot of that stuff did not play a role in the game on Sunday because Ed Dixon and DJ Fluker were not out there, but they, they went out of their way over the offseason to address the running game and then totally went away from it on Sunday. 
Yeah, that the the amount of rushes were was a was a modest surprise to me. Who got the rushes was a much bigger surprise. Mm-hmm. I like the only excuse. The only excuse to me that makes any sense is if you know there was an injury or Chris Carson really was having trouble, uh, you know, with the altitude and and stamina and had to come off the field. There is absolutely no evidence to demonstrate that Rashad Penny is an equal running back to Chris Carson. There just isn't. In fact, there's a lot of evidence that says that Chris Carson is a significantly better back than Rashad Penny if if you watch these two play. And so I think those were six or seven touches that could have been something much greater than they were. And, and that there's really no good excuse from my perspective for why that happened. So I'm really excited to see what Chris Carson can do when he's actually given 15 carries in a game at least. Yeah, yeah. And so far, all this guy has done is, is averaged over four yards a carry, even last year before he got hurt with a terrible offensive line. So right, right. give the guy a chance. I think, I think you're going to get a lot better results. I thought Holmgren had a great line over the week. He said, he said, look, having two running backs is great, but let's find one first, okay? And then we can go <laughs> find two. And I'm with uh-huh. him. And and, and, I, and I'm Amen. with you, yeah. You know, I'm I'm uh, I, I I look. I mean, you got to get momentum. You know, these running backs have to get into a rhythm. And as I said on my show this week, and maybe I'm slightly exaggerating, and maybe I'm uh, you know kind of speaking out of turn here, but I don't even care if this is a low-scoring game on Monday night, man. Just you know, run the crap out of the ball until the Bears choke on it. And if you got to punt three or four times in a row to establish that run, I think your defense is in trouble a little bit. But I also think they're good enough to maybe I hope control Chicago's offense on. Monday. Monday. Obviously, if that get, if that gets out of control, then you can go away from the game plan and start passing the ball. But they just got to find a way to establish that running game, even if it means punting the ball away. You know, by the way, you got maybe the best punter in the NFL right now. There's nothing wrong oh, with man. getting that guy out there and giving your defense great field position. Yeah, he was a he was a pleasure to watch. You know, I I have a hard time picturing low scoring games with this defense, Dave. I mean, I really do. And you're talking about Bobby Wagner now on the injury report. Yeah. AJ Wright yeah. probably isn't going to come back. Now Trey Flowers is on that injury report. Those guys aren't practicing. And and the worst pass rush in football last weekend. Yeah, it was not it was not good, dude. It was not good. You know, with that, that really, Brian, by the way, is all you can do is just laugh. You know, that's all you can do is laugh. Yeah, I mean it, look. I watch football for a lot of reasons, and I, you know, part of it is is spending time with people I care about, and you know, loving watching things develop too. Like it's not just about winning; it's it's you know, what's going to happen? What's the story here? How is this team going to develop? And what's going to happen with Pete Carroll and John Schneider and all these decisions that they've made? So it's fascinating, but this defense is in real trouble, and it's it's amazing because last week when we were talking. Before Earl came back, I thought this was the worst safety group in the NFL. Mm. Both of them played like two of the best safeties in the NFL last week. So they're the only thing not to worry about on this defense. So I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty concerned. I, I, I didn't think Trey Flowers played very well at all either. I know that the team seems to think he did. Um, and I don't think Shaquem Griffin looked like that guy can step back out on the field for at least a few games. He, he does yeah. not look like he's ready to be on, on defense right now. So. Well, and we'll they go, and they go out and they address it uh, with the signing of Michael Kendricks today. Uh, let me ask you, you hope this: That's what they're addressing. Well, uh, what else would they address? Quarterback? I mean, <laughs> if Bobby Wagner he did not practice yesterday, and we don't, we haven't. He has not talked to the media yet, uh, or uh, Pete has, as far as I know. Yep. Um, since then, 
if Bobby Wagner's out oh. and KJ's out, oh. Kendricks could be playing middle linebacker, and they could still have Austin Calitro or someone else playing in, in KJ's spot. Well, let me ask you a couple questions on Kendricks. First of all, uh, do you think Michael Kendricks can give the young players some tips? On how to play linebacker in the NFL? Come on. Uh, you think we should talk to an insider from Philadelphia about Michael Kendricks? Yeah. And uh, how much stock do you put in the idea of uh, Kendricks uh, getting suspended? And do you think the Seahawks should maybe make a trade to address the linebacker position? <laughs> Those are all fantastic huh? questions. Really, really well thought out. Uh, you know... There was a good question posed to me, you know, I think even just last night was, was why, why would the Seahawks sign this guy? And I think that's a great question because, look, you, you could tell from my tone and from even, you know, we were talking last week, I don't have high expectations for this year. I don't think that this is a Super Bowl contending team at all. I think the playoffs are a super long shot, you know, um, at this point. And, and people say, oh, it's one weekend. I'm just saying that's the talent I see. I, I don't see a playoff-level team. But uh, maybe the Seahawks believe they have more. Maybe they do believe that, you know, Pete and John think, and, and it's worth taking on the risk and the distraction and the notoriety of adding a guy like Michael Kendricks. Because otherwise, like, if you know you're not going to be a great team, why are you bringing a guy like that in? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, they, 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 they absolutely believe that, that they can win this year. There's no question. Otherwise, there's no way they make this move. Now, look, I mean, they're just down bodies right now, as you mentioned. They need bodies, man, to play linebacker for them. But, yeah, I mean, if they uh, if they saw a rebuilding year coming in 2018, which I'm not sure if Pete would ever even acknowledge that, even privately or publicly, then I don't know if they make this move because it may not be worth the headache, Brian. And people are trying to make the comparison to Colin Kaepernick. Look, I, I, I get people being upset about Kendricks. I certainly get that. But this is not Colin Kaepernick at all. I mean, Colin Kaepernick, if you signed him, he was hopefully, knock on wood, not going to play a snap for you right. because Russell Wilson exactly. would take every single one. So that's definitely not worth the headache. This at least could be worth it because the guy's going to play for you. And as you said, maybe even start on Monday. Yeah, I mean, it's debatable whether the Kaepernick thing's worth the headache or not. I, I, you know, I have other reasons why I think that, you know, the, the team kind of measures whether or not bringing him in is the right thing to do. But um, in any event, like – Kendricks, yeah, he's going to play. He's going to play, and he's probably going to play a lot. And even if Bobby is only out, maybe he's only out this week, or maybe he's not out at all, there is no doubt that Kendricks is a huge upgrade over <laughs> Austin Calitro and Shaquem Griffin uh, at the linebacker spot. This is one of the yeah, one of the top third you know linebackers in, in the NFL uh, inside wise, and and a lot of people don't remember but when the Seahawks traded back in the 2012 draft in the second round they traded back three picks both Kendricks and Wagner were available when they had the, the, the their second round pick to start with and then Philadelphia took Kendricks between the spot that the Seahawks originally had and where yep. they traded back and my understanding is the Seahawks really wanted Kendricks and there's a very good chance that if Philly hadn't taken him Michael Kendricks would be the Seahawks middle linebacker and Bobby Wagner would not so it's, it is interesting that that you know it's kind of come full circle and 
end of the day, Dave, like, you know, we'll look back on this in three or four years and remember, say, I remember Michael Kendricks was on the Seahawks for a few games or, you know, for that one season. He's not part of the future. So, like, you know, what does it really matter? Well, you know, yeah, I mean, look, I I understand where you're coming from, but I also think that there are some people that expect more out of a franchise, and I think it's time to just get rid of that idea. I think we're being naive. These guys are in it to freaking win it. What was it? Steve Keim, the Cardinal GM, said, hey, if we could sign Hannibal Lecter, we'd probably just say the guy has an eating disorder, right? And and you know, <laughs> bring him on board. Uh, yeah. You know, do, just you know, stop looking to these teams and players, uh, you know, for a moral compass because it's not going to happen. You know, the whole Frank right. Clark thing and now the Kendricks thing, and there was issues yeah. with Tony McDaniel's background. So I think you have to kind of, yeah. you know, uh, dude. Honestly, Charles Barkley may have been right, and I think he was right. You know, after all these years about athletes not being role models, the problem is, is there are good guys on that team that you do want. You got a son, by the way. You got kids for crying out loud you want your kids looking up to Doug Baldwin of course you do yeah and and my I mean you, you've been in those locker rooms more than I have that's for sure but I've been super impressed with the quality of the the men I've met in in, uh, in the Seahawks locker room over the years like there's a lot of incredibly smart incredibly you know uh, community oriented um, people that look I mean it even gets down to competition in the team I can't imagine in my workplace really people helping other folks that are directly competing for their job and doing it with an open heart and with sincerity I see that all the time uh, in that locker room and so that's uh, you know I think there's a different standard these guys are held to I get all that but you're right I mean if you're trying to hold the professional sports franchises up as the paragon of ethics, then I, I think you're just you're, you're kind of misguided in, in where you're going to find that. Well, answer. you're going to be disappointed constantly. There's there's no question about that. Hey, Brian, before you go, let's talk about Chicago on Monday. I mean, I just for the love of God, are we really going to get beat by a guy named Mitch Trubisky? It sounds like you're getting <laughs> sounds like you're getting beat by a kid going to his bar mitzvah. For God's sakes, uh, uh, I mean, he looked. He looked okay at times against Green Bay, and then when Aaron Rodgers came back and the Packer defense thought they had a chance to win the game, it totally changed the tide on on Sunday. But, uh, yeah, the defense against this guy, as we said in the open, uh, you got a tough schedule quarterback-wise, and Case Keenum, Mitch Trubisky, likely were two of the maybe three or four worst quarterbacks that you'll see all year long, and you're a game away from dropping into an 0-2 hole, man. Yeah, I – you always think I'm just an optimist. I, I like to think I'm a realist, and you know, actually, I, I right now I think gonna... you're a negative sob. You think the Hawks are going to have a terrible <laughs> year? So you, you, yeah, I don't even I mean, know I, you I, anymore. I, I, I'm just telling you how I see things, and and look, I I, I don't expect them to win on Monday. Mm. Um, I think Monday night home opener for Chicago. I think the Chicago defense is is pretty darn good, yeah. um, and. And I think Trubisky is, is is not as good of a quarterback as Keenum um, for what it, for what that's worth. And Keenum was made some terrible mistakes against the Seahawks. So Trubisky, you know, he's he's definitely a reason for hope. I think guys like Cohen and um, Taylor Gabriel present real challenges, especially if if you're having linebacker issues because they're going to throw those guys open into space for screens and bubbles and and give them an opportunity to break tackles and run long distances, which is what they're really good at. And the Seahawks struggled a lot with that in the first week. So I think, I think this is a tough game for Seattle. They absolutely can win it, but it's, you know, it's, it's a toss up. And in general, a Monday night home opener um, for a team that's really excited uh, given that they just acquired Khalil Mack. 
I think the, the edge definitely goes to the home team there. Yeah. All right. We will talk in a week before the home opener against the Cowboys next Sunday. All right? <laughs> All right. Cheer up, Dave. <sighs> Sunny day in Seattle. All right, buddy. We'll talk soon. See you, man. Brian right. Nemhauser, Hawk Blogger. Find him on Twitter, at Hawk Blogger. Obviously also on the web at hawkblogger.com. That's it for us. We'll talk to you guys next week. Uh, thanks for stopping by, and go Hawks.